welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're excited to get into the Bible today. I am super stoked to get into Revelation. This is going to be fun. Yes. So contrary uh, to popular belief, Revelation was not written to your crazy uncle who operates the website uh, endtimesnews.com.net, okay? It's not. It was actually written to a church. It was actually written to seven churches in the province of Asia. And you can actually see that in the first uh, chapter of Revelation. See, what happened is you had John, who was exiled on the island of Patmos, and God gave John a vision, a revelation, a apocalypse. What this vision was, was of things that are and things to come. And Jesus himself tells John to write these things down, and then Jesus dictates letters, one to each of these seven churches. Jesus speaks to the churches. The first church he speaks to is Ephesus. Now, these, all of these churches, all of these seven churches are in the region of Asia, and the reason why Ephesus is first is because Ephesus is where it all started. The gospel movement in the whole region of Asia started in the city of Ephesus. And you can actually see this, Acts 19. Paul goes in, starts with 12. The gospel goes out. Every resident of Asia hears the word of the Lord. That's 1910. You have this huge movement of the gospel. And Ephesus was the first church among many sister churches in all of Asia. This was the hub. This was the epicenter. This is where it all started. We actually know a lot about the history of Ephesus. You know, by time this letter from Jesus in the book of Revelation, gets to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus would have been around for over 50 years. It's not a young church. So I want you to imagine being the church in Ephesus. I want you to imagine being somebody who was there when the church started. Which means, if you were there where it, when it started, as a teenager you would be in your 60s when you got this letter from Jesus. You would have seen and participated in some pretty amazing things. You probably would have heard the gospel from Paul or one of the disciples with Paul. You would have turned from one who worships idols to one who serves Jesus. You would have turned from pagan religion and practicing magic and sorcery and all these things to knowing who God really, truly is, the one true creator God who revealed himself in Jesus. 
who died for sin, who rose again. And, and, and as you turned to Jesus, you would have experienced a reconciliation with God. You would have received the Holy Spirit and you would have had this new relationship with the creator God who before you knew nothing about. You would have been taught by Paul and by the other disciples with them. You would have shared this good news with others because you couldn't keep it to yourself. In fact, the gospel rings out to the entire province. It fills up all of Ephesus, which is almost a quarter of a million people, and spills over to all of Asia. All the Jews and Greeks, all the residents of Asia, hear the word of the Lord. This turning wasn't just news going out, it was lives being changed, even to the point where there was a riot in your city caused by the powerful idol makers. And there would have been an attempt at a counter-movement against the movement of Jesus to push Christianity and faith in Jesus out. There would have been danger, there would have been persecution, there was opposition, there was pressure. But it couldn't stop the gospel from getting out. It didn't shut you up. You couldn't help but to share the relationship of, that you have with God through Jesus. The forgiveness that you have through Jesus. The new life that you have in Jesus you would have wept with the others as Paul said farewell to you in Acts 20. Where Paul said that I haven't kept anything back from you, that I taught you the whole counsel of God, and now you're never going to see my face again. You would have wept on that beach. Paul and Luke would have to tear themselves from you. And even going away, you would have remembered that what Paul said to you, that even from your own number, even from the church leadership in Ephesus, there'll be wolves who will come and they'll ravage the church. They won't spare the flock. Responsibility is on you now. Even though that was the last you might have seen of Paul, it wasn't the last you heard from Paul. A number of years later, Paul would write you a letter. Ephesians celebrating and encouraging you, praising God for your love. Paul would have dropped off his protege, Timothy. And you can read all about it in 1 Timothy. And Timothy would have stayed with you for a season, helping you to raise up more leaders, to raise up more pastors, more elders, deacons, to set up a ministry to the widows, and importantly, to test and to keep away false teaching that is perverting the gospel. You might have been around when Timothy received the final letter from Paul. And then you would have heard about Paul's final days and his execution. And decades would have passed in the church, now you're older. You tell the younger generation of the legacy that they're a part of, what God did. You work really hard 
to guard and to preserve the church. And Jesus sends you a letter. Not just to you, but the whole church. I want you to imagine, we're going to read this passage together. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I want you to imagine being in Ephesus and hearing this from Jesus. I'm going to read it so slowly. I'm going to explain the parts that are difficult to understand. Verse 1. This is what it says. This is what Jesus says. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? So Jesus is dictating to John. Jesus is speaking. And he's telling John, all right, write this to the angel of the church in Ephesus. The word angel could be messenger or it could be angel. It's the same Greek word. And it really depends on, con- on context. So this could be like a heavenly messenger that's, that's going to take this to the church in Ephesus. Or it could be an actual person who's actually going to carry the book and carry the letter to, to Ephesus. Either way, the point is, is, right, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And you, if you move up a couple verses, for example, verse 20 in chapter 1, you see what, what, what are the seven stars in Jesus' right hand? Those are the angels, they're the, the messengers. What this is saying is that Jesus, he's in control of getting his word out to his churches. The seven messengers for each church, the seven angels for each church is in Jesus' hand. Who walks among, talking about Jesus, the seven golden lampstands. And again, verse 20, you see, the lampstands are the seven churches. See that huge movement that you saw in Acts 20? Every resident hearing the word of the Lord 50 years later or so, that movement has become a minority. The revival became a remnant. And what was this massive movement of the gospel now can be summarized in seven churches, five of which are struggling deeply. Yet, these are the golden lampstands. Jesus walks among his churches. He walks among the churches that give off light to a dark and broken world. They belong to him. Verse 2, now Jesus speaks to the church. And he says this, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know how hard you're working. I know how you're not growing tired. I know that you test those who claim to come from me. You know the gospel. You know doctrine. You know the Bible you know the truth and you test people who claim to be sent from Jesus and you cannot put up with people who live and their life and their character is not in step with being a follower of Jesus. 
Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I know of the persecution and of the opposition, but the world is against you. I know that you are not giving up, that you are patiently enduring these things. Verse 4, but I have this against you. See, Jesus is like a friend speaking to a church that he loves. And if you got to correct a friend that you love, you say something good, then you, then you say the hard truth that needs to be said, then you say something good again. It's exactly what Jesus does. Guys, I love you. I know what you're doing. You're bearing, you're putting up with a lot for my namesake. You're not doing it for you. You're not doing it for anyone except for the sake of my name. You're doing it for Jesus. I know what you're going through. I know what you're experiencing. You're doing good, but, but I have this against you, that you abandon the love you had at first. I have this against you. You abandoned the love you had at first. Time out. I have heard way too many teachers and pastors on this passage jump immediately to application and say, we're just like the church in Ephesus. We need to go back to our first love. You know what? I don't. I don't. My first love, when I came to Jesus, my first love was nothing like the church in Ephesus. The gospel was getting out. People were turning from, from paganism to Jesus. People were not threatened by riots or opposition the gospel was turning the whole society upside down. You couldn't keep people from talking about Jesus, sharing what, how God changed their life, how, how they know Christ, how they know Jesus as, as their leader and their forgiver. They couldn't stop it. That wasn't like me when I came follower of Jesus. My love my surrender for him was there. But it's something that I think God is growing. Maybe there's some of you who do need to go back to your first love. Maybe there's some of you, some of you who have become like Ephesus. But I, I wonder, for most of us, we've never experienced this thing. we don't need to go to a first love. We need to press forward to a deeper love of the gospel. A deeper relationship with Jesus. And what Jesus isn't saying when he talks about your first love is he's not talking about a feeling. He's not talking about a feeling. And uh, I don't know. Let me ask you. I'll ask this. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to tell me, shout out the first thing that you picture in your mind, okay? Shout it out. You ready? 
This is participation. If you don't do it, it's going to stink, all right? Okay, it's going to bomb, and I'm going to feel bad for you, and I'm going to feel bad for me. So let's not feel bad. You ready? Okay. Heaven. Heaven, hell, Jesus. What else did I hear? Heaven. What pops in your mind? Jesus, paradise. Cool, all right, sweet. Last, uh, last service, a bunch of people said gold. <laughs> like, everyone was like, gold, gold. It's like, okay, gold, all right. How many of you didn't think of the people you're sitting with? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand, right? But think about it, honestly. How many of you, the first thing you didn't think of was the people sitting to the right and left of me and Jesus together? See, Jesus is not talking about feeling. He's talking about something real. See, how many of us, our picture of heaven is bright lights, we're floating on clouds, we're points of light, you know, take some grease, smear the camera lens, you know, get that nice fuzzy feeling, look, look you know, we're all floating around like Care Bears, you know, there's, there's a star and some of you are like, you're messing up my picture of heaven. Yeah, I know, this is not what it is, okay? It's not the Care Bears. Love is not the Care Bear stare. It's not, okay? It's not what Jesus is talking about. I'll prove it to you. It's not a feeling. Look at the next verse. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember. Remember when the gospel was going out from you guys? It was ringing out through the whole province how everyone was hearing about Jesus, how no one could shut you up about me. Remember that? And you see where you were and see where you are now? You hate the same things I hate. Good job. You're against the same things I'm against. Good job. Are we, but are you for the same things that I'm for? Do you love the same thing that I love? Remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. What were the works they did at first? They were living for Jesus. It was changing the world. If not, if you don't, what am I going to do? If not, this is Jesus speaking. If not, I will come to you. I'm going to pay a visit. Be nice to be visited from Jesus, right? Not in this way. I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. The remnant, seven churches in Asia, a lot of them in trouble. The first one, the one from which this gospel spread, Ephesus, that great city, that great church, with that amazing legacy. You don't repent. You don't turn. And do what you did at first. I'm going to take it away. See, a church is not a church because we say it is. Church is not a church because that's what it says on the wall. Church is not a church 
because people meet in it. Church is not a church because it has an endowment and it has funds and it's able to continue on. There's plenty of buildings and there's plenty of places where people are meeting around here. They call themselves a church, but the light has been removed. It's Jesus who makes a church a church. It's Jesus who walks and who knows his church and his people. And it's Jesus who's the one who decides whether the lampstand stays or it's taken away. Is this a church? Answer it in your heart. Is this, is Lighthouse Community, are we a church? If we're a church, are we your church? Is this your church? Is this my church? And if it is my church, then who do I go to for leadership of my church? It's not the pastor. It's not Fritz Bilo. It's not an elder. Ultimately, you have leaders, but under that is the leadership of Jesus. And notice who Jesus is not talking to. He did not write this letter to church leaders. He wrote this letter to the whole church, to every believer. Do you look to Jesus to lead you and your church? If this is your church. And if this isn't your church, where is your church? Verse 5. No, let's go to verse 6. Yet this you have. All right? He just said the hard thing. Now he's going to say the good thing again. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Yay! We both hate the same people. No one knows, by the way, exactly who the Nicolaitans are. Right? I spent too much time trying to figure it out. I can't figure it out. I'm not saying you can't figure it out, but nobody knows who they are. What we do know is that they were some bad guys, okay? It's a false teacher, maybe a cult. Uh, it seems like they were probably into something that was not in step with the gospel. So you hate their works, you hate what they're doing, you hate what they're about. Jesus says, we're on the same team. See, Jesus is saying we hate the same thing, but do we, do we love the same thing? And do you love enough to actually risk Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This verse moves from applying and going directly to the church in Ephesus to applying to every single believer who is reading and hearing this. He who has an ear, do you have an ear? Most of y'all have two. But if you got at least one, okay, do you hear what God the Spirit is saying to the churches. Are you hearing that it is Jesus who speaks to his church? It is Jesus who knows his church. Jesus knows your work. He knows your toil. He knows your effort. He knows your sacrifices. He knows everything that you do for the sake of his name. He knows To the one who conquers, 
And this is to the individual. Whether or not the candlestick is taken away or not, whether or not we evaporate as a church or we endure, regardless to the individual, the person who's faithful, who conquers, perseveres in faith, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And that verse is a huge payoff if you know your Bible. The first pages of the Bible in Genesis, Adam and Eve walking with God in the cool of the day, in a relationship with God, walking by this tree of life, which was lost because of sin, is now found again in the end. What is it that we're fighting for? See, what really was going on with Ephesus? What we have here is a picture of a church that they knew the Bible really well. They knew doctrine really well. They knew the gospel, and they were focused on the gospel. They knew what it looked like to walk with Jesus in in faith. They knew what, what right gospel living looked like. They could sniff out anyone who had false motives, a false gospel, or not living, uh, were not living right as a follower of Jesus. And they can guard the church from those dangerous people. And there, there are some real dangerous people out there. But that was it. This is a lamp in a dark world. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, who of you takes a a lamp, takes a light, and puts it under a basket? Instead, you put it on the lampstand. Why would you take light and put it under a basket? I'll tell you why you would. You would if you're afraid the light can go out. See, when faith flickers and, and your life in Christ, when your faith flickers, you're afraid. You could, at any moment, our light could go out. At any moment, there could be something that would snuff it out. And there's dangers all around. And so to protect the church, to protect the gospel, to protect our testimony, we need to keep the bad theologies and the bad ideas and the bad people, we need to keep them away so we're going to guard against it. And in the end, if you focus on just keeping the bad stuff out, your light's not on a stand, it's in a basket. You're shielding it from the wind. You're shielding it from anything that might cause it to go out. See, our faith, walking with Jesus, it feels and it seems something that's fragile, that the whole world is against. But what's counterintuitive is that too, if you really care about this, you will not protect it, but you'll put it out there. You will put it on. You'll share it. You won't be ashamed of it. You can't stop talking about your faith and the hope that you have in Jesus. And that's what God uses to spread the flame, to spread the light. And that's what he calls every church to be. 
We have this great hope ahead of us. Let's study that together. So let's skip ahead near the end of Revelation. What are we looking forward to? So Revelation chapter 21, we're going to have a picture of where all this is going. So chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. This is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and the sea was no more. All right. Heaven, the future we have together, we're talking about a new resurrected planet. Can you imagine that? Have you ever thought of that? What does it look like to have a resurrected planet? A resurrected cosmos. See, when you see in the Old Testament and the New, heavens and earth, heaven and earth is shorthand for absolutely everything. Everything you see and everything you cannot see. The unseen realm of the heavens and the distant realm of the heavens, the stars and the galaxies and everything in our universe. And the earth, the things that are here, right here in front of us. New heavens, new earth. The old, the former, is passing away. Right? Resurrected planet, new cosmos. We're going to have resurrected bodies. The point is, heaven is real, guys. This isn't just some dream. It's, it's, it's as real as, as you right now, sitting on a chair, seeing, feeling, hearing. In fact, it's more real than that. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Everything that we hope for, everything that the gospel has promised us, the presence of God forever, the former things are the very things. Honestly, the former things are the very things that make me question reality itself. How could there be so much pain? How could there be so much death? How could there be so much suffering? Those are the very things that make me question reality, honestly. Those are the things that will pass away. What remains is everything that is good and right and true in the presence of God and his people and his church forever. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. All right, if Jesus says write it down, it's important, okay? If Jesus says it, and then he pauses, and he says, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and true, we should probably take a pause and think about what is it that Jesus just said? 
You remember? What did he just say? What did he just say? He said, behold, I am making all things new. This is what we mean by heaven. This can help you push away the false images and the false picture of really what we're looking forward to and understand really what's going on. See, what Jesus says is, I'm making all things new. What does Jesus not say? He does not say, I'm making all new things. You catch the difference? There's a difference between, I am making all things new and I am making all new things. And the reason why there's a difference is because there are many followers of Jesus. There are many Christians who live as if Jesus is going to make all new things. In other words, they understand this world, it's going to hell in a handbasket. It's all going to get burnt up. It doesn't matter as long, I, as long as I am good with God, as long as I am tied with Jesus I'm going to ride it out, and I'm going to get to heaven. That is not what Jesus is saying, is it? He's saying, I make all things new. If you are a follower of Jesus, and you have received life because you turned to him as your forgiver and your leader, as your personal boss, you receive the Holy Spirit and eternal life has already started. Eternal life has started now. Eternal life, which we look forward to, has broken in from the future into this very moment. And you are living, you're born again, you're living a new life in Christ. Which means... Your relationships now as a Christian matter for all of eternity. Your brothers and sisters in this church and in your life, those relationships matter and continue for eternity. To invest in relationships with believers now to invest with your church now is to invest in something that continues on for eternity. Because God is not going to make all new things. He's going to make all things new. And for those who are not yet followers of Jesus, at the end of this very short life, when this thing called life, when that bubble pops, There's really only two places to be in this new creation or the other place for those who do not belong to God's recreated planet and new heavens and new earth go, which Jesus is going to talk about in a minute. Verse 6, Jesus said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring the water of life without payment. How do you get the water of life? How do you get to heaven? You thirst, right? Who gets it? The thirsty. Thirst. That's a picture of 
believing, right? It's a picture of faith. What is faith? What do you do to have faith? Faith isn't doing anything. Faith is leaning. Faith is trusting. Thirst. The person who thirsts. And if you thirst, how much do you got to give? What do you got to do? What, what payment do you have to make for this? It's free. It's a free gift. Do you thirst? The one who conquers, conquers with thirst, will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, I'm one of those, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. What were you thinking of when we went through that laundry list of all those who are going to the lake of fire to going to hell? I'll tell you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that should be me. I fit a number of those descriptors there. Certainly do. And there's lots of people in my life who fit it as well. The only hope that I have is Jesus. That he took my place and put me in his place. That he took all the consequences. He took hell itself. Condemnation. And he took that as he died on the cross so that he can put me in his place. That I could be a son of God. That's what it says in verse 7. I will be his God and he will be my son. You get to take Jesus' place as the son. You would enjoy this forever if you're in Christ. How many people do you know who are far from God that you're praying for who cross the line of faith? If you're in Christ, eternal life has already started. It's already started. Your relationships matter now. Your relationships with people who are far from God, who are not yet Christians, matter now. Don't take it and put it under in a basket. Put it on the stand. Put it on the stand. Heaven is real. Hell is real. All things new. Is Jesus your forgiver and leader? And is this a church? And is it your church? And if it's your church, will you commit to go first, not to another person, not to a pastor, not to an elder, not to a leader? Go to Jesus for direction in your church. Invest in the relationship of other believers and invest in the lives of those who are far from God who haven't crossed the line of faith yet. God's hand is not too short to save anybody. At this point, I'd like to invite uh, our prayer team to come up. We're gonna end our time in prayer. I invite you to close your eyes and let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you.
asking your Holy Spirit to speak to us and to speak to me. How are you calling me to respond? Some of us are not sure if they've ever experienced the kind of love that we've talked about, the kind of love that abandons everything else and cherishes a relationship with you and the name of Jesus above all things. I pray not that anyone here or that I myself, but you, God, would draw them to faith. I pray that those who need someone to pray with would come forward and to pray. I pray for those who realize that there is a love that was once there that needs to be returned to. Or there is a love in a relationship with you that is ahead of us that I need to walk and plunge deeper into. I pray that no one, no one would see this as anything less than your church who your son died for, than a lamp shining the gospel to the 50,000 people in Hancock County who don't have any idea what it's like to know you and to be known by you, to belong to you and to one day be in your presence forever. So I ask God as we continue to worship and song that you would meet with us and whatever it is that you are saying to your church and you are saying to your people, the answer would be yes. May we not be cowards or shrink back, but let us step forward and respond. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 9.09 or 11.11. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.